In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is baptizing people. And he sees his cousin Jesus coming towards him. And he says these words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sees his cousin coming towards him. And in that moment, God has revealed to him that Jesus is the Lamb. And tonight, we are here for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to behold Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to understand two things. One, what does it mean to behold something? And then secondly, what does it mean for Jesus to be called the Lamb of God? So it sounds like a churchy word or an expression or a title for Jesus, but what does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God, God's Lamb? So what does it mean to behold, and what does it mean that Jesus is called God's Lamb? First, starting with behold, this will be the shorter one. To behold means to see something, to look upon something, to gaze at something. So when John turns to Jesus and says to the crowd gathered around him, behold the Lamb, He's saying, see the lamb, look upon the lamb, gaze at the lamb. And now we have our harder task that we know what behold is. And in order to understand what beholding Jesus looks like as the lamb of God, we must understand the significance of lambs in the Bible. And so I... This last week, I, in preparation for this, I did a word study of every time the word lamb or lamb shows up in the Bible. It was a lot of times, you can probably imagine. And uh, during this time, we don't have enough time to go through all of those. You're probably grateful for that. Um, but I'm just going to touch base on a few significant pieces that show that Jesus is the Lamb of God from the Old Testament and also from the New Testament. And so the first example I, I want us to be reminded of if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to be summarizing it, but Genesis 22, the account of Abraham and Isaac. So verses 1 through 19 of Genesis 22 is the, this account of Abraham and Isaac. So if you remember, Abraham is the father of our faith. He's the one who, he and his wife Sarah could have no kids, but then God appeared to him and he promised him, he said, you are going to bear kids, you're going to have a son, and through your offspring, through that son and the, the generations after him, I'm going to bless all the generations of the whole world through you, Abraham. And there's this point where he has his son, Isaac, and God comes through on his promise, but then God asks Abraham this daring thing, this almost remarkable thing you would have never imagined. And he asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, to him. And Abraham, he gathers the things that are needed, and he goes to the appointed place that God told him with his son Isaac, and he's prepared to sacrifice his son. And the time the word lamb shows up is, there's this moment where Isaac, he's old enough, he knows what's going on here, he's even carrying some of the wood on his back up this mountainside, and he asks his dad, he says, Father, where's the lamb? 
They're traveling up the mountain. They don't have the lamb. He says, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And then they, this remarkable moment, he binds his son, lays him on the altar, and the text doesn't say that, says Isaac didn't, um, he didn't fight back. He didn't resist. He's, he was compliant. He was going to the altar for his dad to sacrifice him. So you have this father that's willing to follow God's command. You have this son willing to follow God's command. And he has the knife raised, ready to slaughter his son. And at the last second, the angel of the Lord tells Abraham, he says, stop, stop. And he says, Abraham, now I know that you are, you'll do anything for God. You're not even... Um, you're not even holding your only son, your beloved only promised son back from God. I know that you're, you'll be obedient. I know that you fear God. And if you know the story, in this moment, and the text even says, behold, Abraham looks behind him and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And then he ends up using this ram in replace of his son and sacrificing this ram. And what's so amazing about Abraham and the story of Abraham and Isaac, and if you were a Jewish person and you grew up as a Jew, you would have known this story um, forwards and backwards. You would have, it is a story all about a, a father who's willing to sacrifice his son as a lamb. And what's so amazing about the story is the angel of the Lord he says the point of the whole story. He says, I know that you, are, you fear God because you have not even held back your only son. Does that sound familiar? And it reminds me of Romans chapter 8 where Paul writes, and we're going to be there eventually in our Romans series, but God's word says that if God has not held back his son from us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Just remarkable, this picture of the willingness to give your only son. And is Abraham the one that has to do it? No, because God is going to be the one who gives his only son. But Abraham and Isaac are a foreshadow of that. And in the New Testament, when we see the life of Christ. And now the next story I want to look at, or I want to recall is from Exodus chapter 12. The story of Israel and Egypt and their exodus out of Egypt. So this is probably one of the most significant stories for us to understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites have been in Egypt for over 400 years as slaves. And God raises up Moses. And it takes a long time for him to raise up Moses, but eventually he does. And he goes off to a place uh, called Midian, and then he returns and Moses and Pharaoh, they have this battle, or really, it's Yahweh and the gods of Egypt, they have this battle, and God is showing that he is so much stronger and so much greater than the gods of the Egyptians. And there's this, these 10 plagues that come through the land of Egypt. In the last plague, the 10th plague, God says that he's going to go through all the land of Egypt in the firstborn of every household, of the Egyptians, of the Israelites, of all the livestock, the firstborn is going to die. But then 
God does something remarkable for his people because he differentiates between his people and those that are not. And there's this, he provides safety for them. And how does he do that? He says, I want everybody from the household of Israel to go find a year old lamb. And it can't have any blemish or any marks. It has to be a lamb that's spotless. That has no imperfections. And that lamb is supposed to be brought into the care of every Jewish family four days before that lamb is slaughtered for inspection. And then the lamb is supposed to be slaughtered at twilight. And you're supposed to take the blood of this lamb and put it on the doorpost of the house at the top and on either side. And then you're supposed to cook the lamb and eat the lamb and consume it. And there shouldn't be anything left until the next, uh, to the next day. It sh- should all be eaten. And here you see this amazing picture that's pointing towards Jesus in the New Testament. See, God says, I'm going to pass through Egypt and every firstborn is going to die. But to my people who have the blood, when I see the blood on the doorposts of the homes, I'm going to pass over those houses and you will be spared and you will live. You know, John Stott about this account, he says, the blood was meant to be sheltered under. The blood was a shelter. It was safety. It was salvation. And if you think about it, the only thing that separated the Egyptians from the Israelites was the blood of the lamb and their faith in God, in what he said. God gave them instructions through Moses and Aaron, and they believed what God said, and they put the blood on the doorpost of their house, and they were spared. The only thing that separated the Egyptians from the Israelites was the blood of the lamb, and their faith that God would come through on his promise. All right, and now I want to just address a couple passages in the prophets that I'm calling the Lamb Prophecies. So I think the most famous of all, Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, The whole chapter is remarkable, but just verse 7 in isolation. um, I'm going to read that in just a moment. Isaiah 53, 7. This was written over 600 years before Jesus was born. Okay? 600 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah writes these words. He was oppressed... And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And when you think about the life of Christ, they had the Last Supper, they go out to the Mount of Olives, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas has already gone out and he comes to betray Jesus. Jesus is betrayed. He goes before the Sanhedrin, all these religious leaders of Jesus' day that did not like him. They didn't understand why he was there. They felt threatened by him. And they started to falsely accuse Jesus. And the text says over and over again in the Gospels that he was silent. He didn't answer them. Like a sheep, before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And what I think is so remarkable is Isaiah 53, 7 is the exact passage in the exact verse that in the book of Acts, when the church has started 
and the church is spreading, Philip is sent out by God, and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch who is a convert to Judaism, but not a convert to Christ yet. And he runs up alongside this man's chariot, and in the chariot, this man is reading Isaiah 53, verse 7. And he asks Philip, and he says, who's this about? Is it about the prophet, or is he talking about somebody else? And then it says that Philip explained to him everything there was to know about Jesus, starting with that passage, Isaiah 53, the lamb prophecy. And what I also think is remarkable, the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. This is written about 800 years before Jesus was born. There's this prophecy about Bethlehem. If you remember the Christmas story, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And growing up, I just thought, okay, that's Bethlehem. It's a town. It's a tiny town. It's close to Jerusalem. That's all I thought. Bethlehem is so significant for a variety of reasons. Here's what Micah 5.2 says. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God's saying, Bethlehem, there's going to be a great ruler that comes from you that's going to rule all Israel. And Bethlehem is the city of David. It's where David is from, King David, who looked after sheep as a boy. That was his job. He was a shepherd. And that's also where Jesus is born. And Jesus is He's not only from David's line, but he's also from the line of Abraham. So there's all this connection to the point where Jesus is prophesied that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And what's so fascinating about Bethlehem is Bethlehem is the place where the sacrificial lambs would be raised to be sent to Jerusalem to be offered for temple sacrifice. The lambs were raised in Bethlehem. And the year-old lambs were taken to Jerusalem to be sacrificed. So everything that needed to be true of a sacrificial Passover lamb was true of Jesus and his life. We just got done talking about this. Lambs were born in Bethlehem. Check. So was Jesus. Lambs were to be a year old, the prime of their life. Check. Jesus died at age 33, the prime of his life. Lambs were to be brought into the vicinity of a Jewish family four days before the Passover so that they could be examined. Check. Jesus came into Jerusalem four days, four full days before he was to be crucified on the fifth day. Lambs were to be inspected and found to be without any faults or blemishes. Check again. Jesus is without any blemish or any fault. He is the sinless son of God with no imperfection. And if you think about when Pontius Pilate examines Jesus, he literally says, I find no fault in this man. Jesus was inspected and found without to be any faults or any blemishes. Lambs were to be slaughtered on Friday before the Sabbath. Passover lambs were to be slaughtered on Friday afternoon before the evening before the Sabbath day. And Jesus died on Friday afternoon, the exact time the Passover lambs 
were to be slaughtered. And all of this is the reason that the apostles and the prophets called Jesus the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Peter says in his letter in the first chapter, 1 Peter 1, that God has not saved us with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And John the apostle calls Jesus the lamb repeatedly over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. And I think my favorite is uh, Revelation 5, 9 to 14. So if you want to turn over there, you can with me. Revelation chapter 5, 9 to 14. We're almost done, but this is so powerful. I just want to read it. I want to read God's word over us tonight. Right after um, the apostle John has this vision and he sees this scroll that nobody can open on the whole face of the earth. Nobody's worthy to open up this scroll. And he's weeping. And one of the elders tells him, starting in verse uh, 5, I'm going to start up in verse 5 of uh, uh, chapter 5. He says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, which means this is true. And the elders fell down and worshiped. God has not withheld his lamb, his only son from us. But he has shed his blood for us to shelter under, to be protected under, to experience salvation. When the blood of Jesus is on the doorpost of our heart by faith, we can shelter underneath that promise. We escape judgment. We receive mercy for our sins and complete forgiveness over every sin, not just sins in the past, sins in the past, 
sins in the present, and sins in the future. But not only that, it says here in Revelation 5 that God has redeemed a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and language to be a kingdom of priests, to reign on the earth. And so when you think about the Exodus, the Exodus doesn't just stop. That account in Egypt with the doorpost being covered with the blood and God passing over them, that is just the beginning of this amazing journey that God is taking his people on, not just to be pardoned, not just to be saved in that moment, but he's taking them into the promised land. He's taking them into a place where they're going to be with him and dwell with him forever. And church, that's our story. That's our story. That the father has given the lamb so that we could be pardoned, but not just pardoned, but we could be adopted as sons and daughters and spend eternity with our father in heaven, reigning with him in the new creation that is going to come when Christ returns. So this is why we behold, we see, we look at, we gaze upon Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb that our father has offered up for us to take away our sins and the sins of the whole world for those that place their faith in this promise. So at this time, I just want us to respond and Jeremiah is going to play a song for us. And feel free to just stay seated. And in this moment, just reflect on the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And behold him in this moment. And then I'm going to get back up here and we're going to take communion uh, after this. And we're going to sing some more and just reflect. And we're just going to lean in. We're going to keep beholding Jesus is the Lamb. But this is a special night. Because we're looking back at what Jesus has done for us to remember that he is the lamb.